seen where churches couldn't meet and have church. I've never seen that. I've never seen where the airwaves are filled with just messages of fear. I've never seen that. I see where people carry their cell phones and their phone apps that show the latest outbreak and death toll and of the coronavirus. I've never seen that before. So we're definitely living in times of stress, adversity, difficulty. And I want to give you the definition of adversity. This is right out of Webster's Dictionary. It's a state or instance of serious or continued difficulty or misfortune. So we can say we're, we're seeing that in our nation. It's times of feeling helpless, hopeless, uncertainty. And I know many of the younger people, you've, you probably haven't even experienced adversity before, like some of us that have a little few years on us. Maybe you, you know, you're, the greatest adversity you've, you've had is if your internet went down. I don't know. But, but you think about maybe some of the young people are now a little bit confused. Maybe they're a little bit angry. Maybe they're a little bit rebellious. You know, they said the millennials were not wanting to abide by this stay-at-home rule. Well, maybe that's because they haven't really experienced anything quite like what they're experiencing today. But I want to tell you that regardless of plague or war or sickness, economic collapse, God knows your name, and God holds our hands, and his promises are still good. His promises are the same. His word is forever settled in the heavens. And we call upon God because we can call upon him based on his, on his faithfulness to his word. And so last week I encouraged a 40-day challenge to reset our life. And there's been a lot that's been, you know, a lot of people are, are hearing the same message from Holy Spirit. It's not just us, but a lot of people are hearing that message of resetting your life. I think it's interesting that last year, 2019, our theme was reset for 2019. Reset for 2019. And I want to, just that little acronym, we use that. And, and we, I just, I'm going to give you the acronym for reset. It, R is renew passion for God. This is a great time to renew our passion for God. E, to eliminate unnecessary baggage. What baggage are you carrying around that's causing you to constantly be limping around through life? S, simplify your life. This is a great time to simplify things. I told Terry, I said, call in a dumpster, put it in the driveway. We're going to simplify life. We're going to clean out some things while we have some time. And then E again is to enlarge your vision. Can you see beyond the obstacle? Can you see beyond the, the adversity? And T is to, it's a great time to train yourself for godliness. In the book of Timothy, it tells us, Paul told Timothy to train yourself for godliness. But when we think about adversity, you know, there's two opinions in the church. And maybe you, you belong to one of these. Maybe you've heard both of these. But the first opinion is that, well, if you're a real Christian, you should not have adversity. Well, that's wrong theologically, number one. You know, if, if we're going through difficult times, we're off, we have been told in the past that, well, there must be sin in your life or you're not really walking in faith. And, well, that's not biblical either, and I'm going to prove that to you today. But what we do is we attempt to create a reality that's based on our feelings or our purposes or our own desires. They're totally inconsistent with what the Word of God has to say. So people form opinions that are not based on the Word of God, but based on what seems should be right to them on their own reasoning. But we have to do life in context with the Word of God. So what does the Bible really say about difficult times? You know, we have to remember, we have to do life in context with the Word of God. What does the Bible say about difficult times? Actually, the Bible promises us difficult times. It says in Psalm 34, 15, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. So it doesn't say none are the afflictions of the righteous. It says many are the afflictions, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. And again, if we look up that word affliction in the Hebrew, it's a state of, of ill-being due to affliction or misfortune. 
So, so the word of God is telling us that the righteous are going to experience some misfortune from time to time. Let's jump over to the New Testament, John sixteen thirty three. I'm going to give this to you out of the Amplified. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. He didn't say, now, if you're, if you're going to church every time the doors are open, you're praying three hours a day, you're reading your scripture, you're memorizing, you're quoting scripture, you're never going to have a problem. He said, no, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. He's speaking to his disciples, by the way. He said, and you're going to have trials, and you're going to have distresses, and you're going to have frustration. He said, but be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted. Listen to this, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. This is another promise that we have of God. What is our view? What is our opinion? Tribulation in the, in the Greeks is a state of physical, mental, social, or economic adversity. So what does the Bible teach us? Number one, it teaches us we're going to have tribulations, we're going to have times of distress, we're going to have adversity, but it also teaches us that God delivers us out of every one of them. It also teaches us that we can have peace, we can have confidence, we can have cheer, and we can be encouraged during these times. So if God delivers us out of all of our afflictions and we are promised through Christ to be overcomers of the problems of life, we can be assured that there might be some value found in our adversity. Can we believe that? Can we believe that there might? And I'm not saying God causes all this adversity. I'm just saying there's, a, there's value found in adversity. And, well, let, well, let's just look in nature. We see this in nature. You think about the, the trees. When wind blows, what does it do? It strengthens the, the root structure of trees. Gives them a stronger root structure because they've been through the storm. I think about the butterfly. I love the butterfly and the chrysalis. I even mentioned the butterfly, I think, last week. A chrysalis, it's it's not the cocoon. That's that soft, velvety thing. The chrysalis is more hard, and that's where the butterfly finally breaks through to become that beautiful butterfly. Well, that butterfly has to kind of punch his way out, so to speak. And if we do anything to abort that process, his wings do not get built up with the strength that they need, and he's not able to cope with life on the outside. So there, there's a purpose in this. And then there's the eagle. At, the, at, at a certain age, he gets to be an old age, he goes through a thing called the molting process. And for about 150 days, he goes off by himself, usually into a prairie or somewhere that's all alone. And he'll beat his beak against a rock to break off that old beak. He'll pull out feathers. And what he does is he basically creates a rebirth process. And he's able to live many, many more years later than he would have lived. Well, the scripture tells us in James 1, 2 through 4, he says, My fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can have. So as we're going through this time, I mean, nobody likes being quarantined. Nobody likes not having to go out to a restaurant after church to eat. Nobody likes not being able to visit family. Do you know what? We can find joy in this because it's a perfect opportunity to reset our life. It's a perfect opportunity to simplify our life, to get rid of baggage. It's a perfect opportunity to renew our passion for God. And so we can see that we can grow from that. It also says, for you know that when your faith is tested, listen to this, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. What a promise. But see, it starts out with this when you're facing difficulties. See, God doesn't expect us just to face them. He expects us to go through these difficulties, to, to be victorious over these difficulties. 
And I believe sometimes that God uses adversity as his building blocks. Why? Because that's what the scripture teaches us. Remember, we want the opinion of the Bible, right? We don't want man's opinion. I don't want what seems right to me. I don't want what makes me feel good. I want what the word of God has to say. So Psalm 103.5 says, He fills my life with good thing. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, in order for our youth to be renewed, that means we've had to kind of drop down a little bit, right? Uh, Isaiah 40 says, He gives power to the weak. So that means weakness is there and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. Listen to this, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. What a promise. Hebrews 5, 8. Jesus also had to go through difficult times. It says, although he was the son of God, he learned obedience by what? Not going to the temple every day. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a stone, a tested stone. Jesus was the tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. So too often we want to remove ourselves from the inconvenience in life when it may be the very tool that God is using to shape us into that person we need to be to occupy that place that God has for us to walk in our destiny. How many of us have aborted our destiny or certainly prolonged it simply because we refuse to go through the process of testing and adversity? I don't think there's any greater example anywhere in the Bible than Joseph. You know, Joseph was a man that God needed in Egypt to to preserve the nation of Israel. And in Psalm 105, it gives us a little insight into what was really going on there. See, we think Joseph just got a raw deal. Well, he might have got a raw deal in the natural. But God, see, but God knew his name. God was holding his hand. But listen to Psalm 105. He, God, called for a famine on the land of Canaan. You mean God calls for a famine? I'm telling you what the word says, okay? Can God call a famine? Yes. He can also call the rains to come. Cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. See, all of this Joseph couldn't see in the background. God was working. In the background, see, God had a plan for Joseph being put into the pit, going into the the prison in Egypt. God had a plan. God was working about his will for the nation of Israel through the life of Joseph. What if that was you? What if God needed to use you to save a nation or to save a family or to save a school or to save a city? Are you willing to go through the pit? Are you willing to go through the the prison? Are you willing to to be misunderstood? Then it goes on to say, it says, They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. The Lord tested Joseph's character. That word test means to put to the test as for a quality, to determine the quality. It means to refine. So God was refining the character of Joseph to accomplish the plan God had for Israel. I don't see Joseph sitting in the prison moaning and groaning and complaining. I don't see that happening. Not for long. How many of us are moaning and groaning and complaining? Does God know our name or not? Is God holding our hand or not? What mountain's going to stop us? What adversity? You see, God needed a different Joseph in the palace than the one that he found in the pit. 
And God needs a different you and I than maybe the one he's finding today. And maybe he wants to, to refine us to that place where we can truly be used and be men and women who God can count upon to bring that change, to bring that transformation. To bring, we talk about revival. You know, we, we talk about changing the world, but do any of us want to be changed? Change the world, you know, you know, change Pastor Zach or change Terry or change Tom back there. But do any of us really want to be changed? God, change me so I can be used is what we should be saying. And I believe that there are those who are called for a greater purpose than living a life just unto themselves. Actually, I believe every believer is. I told, every week I get an opportunity to tell someone, you have seeds of greatness placed inside of you. What are you doing with your seeds of grace? Are they, are they just lying there dormant? Are they like putting corn seeds in a jar and putting them on a shelf? What good do they do us until we actually plant them? Until we put them in, in soil? Until they go through the process? You know, Joseph, the Bible says, was called ahead by God. He was sent ahead of the famine. Are you right now being sent ahead of something else? You know, I really, and we were talking this morning, I don't think this is the last time we're going to see something like this. I think this is a great preparation time for the body of Christ. I think this is a time when the church can become the church that we're supposed to be, where we can shine and we can truly become that that we're supposed to be to our community, to our families and our schools. But see, Joseph was a braggart, and he gloated about his beautiful robe and his special position with his father. But God needed to bring, he needed to cut him down a few notches, didn't he? He needed to create a humility and a wisdom inside of Joseph. He needed for Joseph to learn how to hear God's voice and not just his own. See, sometimes we need to learn to hear God's voice and, and you know, close it up and hear the voice of the Lord instead of hearing our self-talk. And, you know, there's always a promise, there's always a prize, but there's always a process. And it's usually the process that gets most people. It's the process, because in the process is where you're going to find the testing. It's where you're going to find the adversity. And many times people will give up on their ministries, they'll give up on their business, they'll give up on their marriages, simply because the process is too hard. The process has become too hard. Too many are looking for easier, greener pastures. And so, uh, I what did Paul have to say? You know, Paul, was a, he was an incredible man of God, used by God. Let me just show you, you know, uh, this is what Paul went through. You know, so if we think we're supposed to tiptoe through the tulips for the rest of our life and everything be roses and hunky-dory and never have a problem, we're going to have to, God's going to have to apologize to some of these people, isn't he? But listen to what Paul went through. 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I know I sound like a madman. But I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish, the church gave him 39 lashes. Too many times we'll get, you know, somebody will say something that we don't like at church or pastor doesn't say something I don't like. What do we do? I'm going to find me another church. Paul said 39 times the church gave, I'm excuse me, five times the church gave him 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but they are not. Well, I don't want to go to church anymore. It's a bunch of hypocrites. So what better place for them to be, right? I tell people all the time when they say that, do you work with hypocrites? Yes. Well, did you quit your job? No. What's the difference? You know, quit being a hypocrite about the hypocrites, right? So it says, I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've gone without food often. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. 
Now, that was what Paul went through. And then if we go back to 2 Corinthians, that same book, the same letter he was sending, chapter 4, he says, but we view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. Another translation says, these light afflictions, beaten five times almost to death, shipwrecked, starved, no no clothes, no, no heat, being lied about, and all that goes on. He said, but these light afflictions. And Paul also said, my determined purpose is to know Christ. See, he was willing to pay any price to know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, it goes on to talk about Paul receiving the thorn in the flesh. And why did he tell? He tells us why he received that, because of the great visions and revelation God gave him. And he also tells us what that thorn in the flesh is or was. It was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him so that he would not be proud. See, sometimes we have to go through some things for our own benefit. Let me just give you some quotes concerning um, adversity. Strength doesn't come from what you can do. It comes from overcoming the things you couldn't do or you thought you couldn't do. So you build strength not just in doing what you can do. It comes from overcoming the thing you didn't think you could do. When you go into a gym, what do you do? If you, if you got a five-pound weight, you're doing that for a while, and then sooner or later that gets a little... A little so what do you want to do? You want to test those muscles. You want to build that strength. You go to a 10-pound weight or a 15-pound weight. If you stay at the five-pound weight, you never move beyond the place you are. And if we run from adversity, we never move beyond the place we are. I remember when I was in, in college, I went back as an adult. I had was married, children, working full-time, school full-time, church full-time, and I thought... I don't think I can do this. But this is what kept coming to my mind. In five years, you're going to be somewhere. And if you don't do this, you're going to be exactly where you are today. So what do we have to do? I had to press through. I had to press through. Albert Einstein says, Adversity introduces a man to himself. Adversity introduces a man. What does it do? It reveals our weaknesses. It reveals what we really have, what we're really made out of. C.S. Lewis said, Hardship often prepares the ordinary people for extraordinary destinies. Powerful. Hardship will often prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destinies. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary destinies and plans. Zig Ziglar says, Sometimes adversity is what you need to face in order to become successful. How many times does the average business fail? Five times, I've heard, before it's ever successful. Well, what if we just quit after the first time? You're never going to be successful. What if a baby never starts to walk again after it falls the first time? The mom and dad says, oh, sorry, kid, you're not going to learn to walk. You've already fallen. What do we know? That's foolishness, isn't it? What's the same thing in life? Arthur Golden says, adversity is like a strong wind. It tears away from us all but the things that cannot be torn so that we see ourselves as we really are. Another, another person said that adversity strips us down to our fighting weight. It blows away the fluff in our life. Let me tell you what God says about adversity. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you faint, if you give up, if you get discouraged in the day of adversity, your strength is small. God introduced that scripture to me about 25, 30 years ago. We were going through just a hard, adverse time with some situations. And, you know, I just opened the Bible and there it was. If you faint in the day of your trial and your adversity, your strength is small. You know what that did? That fired me up because my strength is not small. So adversity is simply a tool that refines us so we can answer the call of God. And you think about in the Bible, many examples. Moses, 40 years in the desert after he'd been raised in Pharaoh's house. 40 years in the desert. How about Joseph, 13 years in prison? 
How about David, 15 years running from Saul after he was anointed king? After, how about Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness, in addition to the three-year ministry filled with nothing but resistance? How about others like Daniel and Esther and Jeremiah and Elijah? So adversity prepares us for such a time as this, and maybe what we're going through today and how we handle it will prepare us for such a time as this or for such a time as what is coming into our life. Many of us face things in, our, in, our, in the days that are ahead that we're, we're, not, we're not aware of what's coming. Let me tell you, when it comes, we need to make sure that we have, we've already found our God. We've already got that relationship. I remember in 97 when I went through breast cancer, the, I remember telling Pastor Robbins at the time, I didn't go looking to him first. I didn't go calling on the prayer team first. I mean, I did that eventually. Yeah, I went to God first, and I said, I'm so glad, Pastor, that at that time I did not have to go hunting for God. See, too often we wait until the crisis brings us to our knees before we want to develop a relationship with God. See, we need, to, we need to reset our life. We need to spend time in His presence. We need to develop that passion for God. Get into the Word of God. The Word of God is everything in our life. Don't listen to what the news says. Don't listen to what your friends say. Don't even listen to what your head's telling you. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God that where we have victory. He says, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus who is the Word. So how do we turn adversity into advantage? I'm going to give you six little things that I... These are just things that I have learned in my 40 years of serving the Lord, okay? And so you write these down. I think they're going to be up here on the screen. Number one is don't focus on the problem alone. Do not focus on... Don't allow the adversity to dominate your life and think nothing else matters but the problem. You've got to be able to see, where am I going to be when this problem is over? Where do I expect to be when the problem is over? Instead of just finding yourself closed in, oh, we're never going to get out of this. I'm never going to get to go to church again. My business is going under. Maybe God wants that business to go under so you can start a new one. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe he's going to bring it forth stronger than ever. I don't know. But I'm telling you, God knows your name. God is holding your hand. No mountain's going to stop you. No mountain is going to stop you. So don't focus on the problem. Pro- focus on the promise to the problem. Right? Remember, he didn't say you're not going to have problems. He said, but yeah, I'm going to see you through the problems. He said, in the midst of the problem, you can have courage, you can have, you can have joy, and you can have strength. So number one, don't focus. Number two, look for potentials waiting to develop. In other words, adversity might reveal something that's untapped in you. It's just a poten- What is a potential? If you think about potential energy, it's energy that's stored that's not in use yet. So a potential is simply something that God, a gift God's placed in you that's being stored that is currently not in use. So, so begin to look for those things that need to be developed. You know, uh, mother, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. In other words, when we have a necessity, we, we, we're seeing this with all this different way we're having to do church today. You know, we, uh, a lot of churches, and I, we need to pray for the churches because a lot of churches were not set up to hit the ground running when this happened. And a lot of them, you know, are struggling with this. So we need, I mean, we've had our own struggles with, you know, just trying to get everything right as much as we can. But, but you know what? The presence of God was intense in here this morning. I was just thinking, God, I don't want to cry my makeup off one more time before I get up here and <laughs> to give the message. But I, I got it under control. But, but let me tell you, we need to look for potential. And, and, and I really believe that many times the genius of people that God has implanted will come out during these times of struggle and strife. That genius side of that witty invention that God is just waiting for this thing to be birthed in your life. This new plan, this new way of doing things. 
So number three is don't give unnecessary advantage to the devil. It's the time to identify and to close doors and windows that will rob and steal from you. Many times, you know, I remember we were at the beach back in about 12 years ago and and we had started our counseling business and, and here at the church, we were pastors now at the church and and we and Terry had this dream, and we were with Barbara and Dale Wintrouble, actually. We were uh, there in the condo, and and uh, Terry had a dream, and he said the Lord showed him. He said there's it's like a warehouse, and he said there were doors and windows that had cracks, and little imps were coming through. And basically it was a sign to identify these areas and close these areas up. And it could be, these could be any, anything. It could, it could be jealousies. It could be lack of faith. It, it could be just, you know, not trusting in the word of God, not spending time with God. These are little things. The devil will come in. Peter tells us, he said, the devil's walking around like a roaring lion looking for some way to slip in and create havoc in our life. So this is a good time to identify and not give any, un, I, I shouldn't even put unnecessary. There is never to give an advantage to the devil. So let's just mark unnecessary out of there, Okay. Number four is know what your non-negotiables are. Know where you will not compromise in the midst of adversity. But you've got to understand there, there may be some negotiable interpretations of others that could be beneficial. And what am I saying? I'm saying you've got to know the Word of God is a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. But there may be views and insight that other people have that maybe you might not normally have listened to. You know, we all have ideas and thoughts based on our life experiences. We all see things in life through the lens of our life experiences. And sometimes because someone maybe belongs to another denomination, well, I don't want to listen to them. Or maybe they haven't done that. I don't want to listen to them. Or maybe it's a mom or a dad. I don't want to listen to them. What do they know? They're old and I'm young and I've got a new way of doing things. Well, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Let me tell you that. There's nothing new under the sun. And we've had people swing in and swing out. And, oh, we've got to do this and do that and do this. And I say, yeah, we've already done that. You know, so, so we need to learn to listen, to humble ourselves. And we also need to work smart. You don't have to work hard, work smart. The blessings of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. It's what the Word tells us. So we need to learn how to work smart. Number five is don't abandon your calling in the midst of the adversity. Don't let the weight of the problem cause you to abandon your destiny and what God has called you to do. Sometimes the struggle can be so overwhelming we just want to jump ship. Sometimes the enemy will try to convince you, well, if it was really God, you wouldn't be going through this difficulty. No, that's, that's a lie. That's how he gets in and slips. So you've got to know the Word of God. You've got to know that what the Bible says about adversity. You've got to know what God's promises are. You've got to know that he knows your name. You've got to know that he sees you. He's working in the backgrounds always. You've got to know that God is for you and not against you. So don't become overwhelmed by the problem. Just know I'm going through this thing. It's not where I wanted to be, but I'm going through this thing. There's beauty in every place that we're at in life if we will, if we will just look and see the beauty. I remember, again, another story. Maybe you've heard this story, but it was back in 97 after I'd gone through breast cancer. You know, you never think you're going to go through something like that. But I read a story about a lady who said she had saved up her money to buy this ticket to Italy. She always wanted to go to Italy. She wanted to see all the artwork and the statues and the Vatican and all these other things and said she got on her plane and she got off, got ready to get off the plane. And what did she see? Windmills. She wasn't in Italy at all. She was in Holland. She said, this is not where I thought I would end up. She said, what, I mean, this was a, I don't think this was a true story, but it was certainly, it certainly works, right? 
We often end up in places we don't think we're going to end up. But let me tell you, she said, even in Holland, there was beauty in Holland. There was the tulips. There was the windmills. There was the people. So regardless of where we are, even in this time of, of, of stay at home or stay in place, there can be beauty in this, of, of getting to reunite with family members, getting to talk again, turning off the TV. You know, there's nothing wrong. I'm, I'm kind of glad there's not so many sports and things on TV today. Uh, we, got, we saw a text from one of our, our uh, friends uh, on uh, Facebook, and he said, three days without sports. This was early on. And he said, I saw this woman on my couch, and, you know, she's nice. She's my wife. <laughs> so it's a time to get to know people. It's a time to get to know people better, those that we care about. And lastly is to pray. We need to pray. We need to ask God to show us what we need to see in this season that we're in. What do I need to see in myself? What do I need to see in my options? What do I need to see in what your plan is for my life, Father? That's what we need to pray. I was in my quiet time this morning. I was playing a song. And and I want to read the words to this song. It's called, Oh, Come to the Altar. Oh, Come to the Altar. And I was thinking about, you know, Dan gave us a beautiful, just a beautiful message of, if you don't know Jesus, allow the blood to cover your life. You know, he's, he's here waiting. He, wa- he wants to invite you into the kingdom of God. He wants to invite you into a relationship. He doesn't want to just invite you to church. See, God didn't, Jesus didn't die so you could come to church. He died so you could have a relationship with God. And this song will come to the altar. Listen to this. It says, are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. See, this is an opportunity for a new you to be created. It's an opportunity to reinvent yourself in Christ. To get rid of all, just like that butterfly, get rid of all that hard shell, that chrysalis that you've been entrapped in. He says, I want you to come out of this beautiful butterfly. Do you know what I found out in my 40-something years of serving the Lord is that God's timing is always perfect. God never opens that shell too soon or too quickly. God never aborts your destiny. That's a choice that we make. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood. And as we move into the Easter season, I believe next week, if I remember, is uh, Palm Sunday. We're kind of out of whack now with the church, uh, you know, not having church as we normally do and all of our activities. But think about the blood of Jesus. Think about the price that was paid for you and for me. You know, he, he, was, he was crucified for our sins, but he was raised for our justification. That's what Romans 4 tells us. He was crucified. He died for our sins, but he was raised for our justification. What does that mean? That means we've been justified in the eyes of God. We are just as if we have never sinned. It means we have power and victory over sin. We have power over coronavirus. We have power over economic loss. We have power over depression and discouragement. We have power. And the victory is ours to lose, not to, not to win. We have the victory. Are you going to give it away? 
or you're going to give it away to the lies of the enemy. God is, in, God is in control as long as we will allow him to be in control. If we believe the word of God, he said we have to believe that he is. We have to believe that he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and we're going to find him. Then he's in control of our life when we submit to him only. So, Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the incredible presence that we feel regardless of whether we're in a church filled with people or no people, Father God. I thank you for the technology that you've allowed man to have, Father. I pray for every person listening. I pray, Lord, if there's a single person that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that you'll convict their heart. Lord, it's only those that you draw to you that you can receive, Father. I pray let the Holy Spirit convict and draw men and women, boys and girls. Lord, I pray that in this time of of difficulty and trial and struggle, Father God, that we'll look to you and we'll look to your word. And we're not going to listen to what naysayers say. God, we look to your word. You says many are the afflictions, but you deliver us out of them all. You said in the tribulation, God, you've given to us courage. You've given to us power to overcome, Father. We thank you for that word. You says that we are more than conquerors through you, Lord, who strengthens us. You said that we have power over all the miracle-working power of the devil. We have that power, Father. We speak to these, these, these spirits of, of destruction and death that are looming in our nation and creating fear in the minds of people. You've not given us a spirit of fear. God, we pray for healing in bodies, Father. We thank you, Lord, that, that you are Jehovah Rapha to your people, that your word says that you heal all of our diseases, that your word says you sent your word and brought healing, that your word says by the stripes on Jesus' back we've been made whole. God, we hold to that word. We don't care what we see. We don't care what we feel. We know what the word of God says, and that's what we proclaim. And, Lord, we just bless you. We bless everyone listening and watching in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today.